Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Puck Fortland podcast. It's good to have you guys back. We got a little special treat for you here. Uh, my next guest is Josh Liberless. Josh is the super domestique over at Hi-Fi Sound Cycling Components here in Portland, Oregon. For all you cycling fans out there, you already know. Uh, Josh and his partners have a company that makes some amazing cycling wheels, uh, mountain bike wheels, road CX wheels. Um, you know, they got their soft goods too, but uh, I had Josh over here recently uh, to talk about what they're doing, what's new for 2018, uh, what kind of fun stuff they're getting into and events they have coming up. And it was really freaking cool. Josh and I have, I don't know Josh, um, well, I know him now, <laughs> thanks Josh, uh, for coming over. But we had just sort of ran into each other on trail, I guess rode into each other on the trail, had some quick chats, you know, really nice guy, was never really um, sure what he was up to, you know, what he does on his off hours, but he seems to be really busy, so um, I only t tend to see him either riding or occasionally I'll run into him over at Tommy Tuit's shop over here in Kenton. Shout out to Tommy Tuit. Uh, so Josh came over to give us a little... Uh, break down and uh, catch up with us, get to know each other, and it was really fucking amazing, and I'm really stoked to share this episode with you guys. Here it is. My name's Josh Lieberless. I'm from Hi-Fi Sound Cycling Components, and you're listening to Puck Fortland. To explore the moon, the planets, and the interplanetary environment of our solar system. To investigate the sun and its relationship to Earth. The geophysical properties of the Earth and the physical nature of the universe. To determine the biological effects of the space environment on Earth's life form, and to search for and analyze extraterrestrial life. To develop experiments for manned space flight, which use the special capabilities of the trained astronaut as a sensor, manipulator, and evaluator. By pre-doctoral training for scientists and engineers, and grants for space science research projects and laboratory facilities to best use university resources for the National Space Center. I'm a classic phone player too, so prepared for that. Voice made for newspapers, face made for radio. Dude, I'm really glad you came over. I'm glad we got to do this. I've been wanting to get you uh, on the podcast for a while. Yeah, thanks so much. I'm excited to do it with you. What's going on? Well, first tell us, uh, how do you say your last name? Lieberless. Lieberless. Yep. Come on to say it. Liberalis. Yeah, there's a lot of people who like to put A's in there. That's the most, there's no way. That's the most common for some reason. They want to paint me as a liberal. <laughs> Are you a liberal? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty, pretty yeah. far left, I would say. <laughs> far out there. Um, and you're with Hi-Fi uh, Bike Components, right? Hi-Fi Wheels? Hi-Fi Sound Cycling Components is our, our full moniker. But yeah, we uh, we do bike wheels. How does that go for you in a town like Portland? Uh, it goes well. I mean, it's obviously a cycling hotbed. So uh, locally, there's a lot of people interested in, in bike stuff in general, of course. Um, and I think nationally and internationally, having a base in Portland, there's a, there's a quote-unquote brand that goes with that that helps us yeah absolutely it's like this well one of the centers of the universe for for cycling yeah um 
Tell me a little bit about where you like. Where are you from? Are you Portland native? Where no, I am a Boston native, and mostly grew up Boston. just just outside of Boston in a suburb, Milton. Um, but born in Boston, and then I've bounced around a whole bunch. So I've been in Portland for about ten years, and I oh, was okay. in New Mexico for eight years before that, and Bay Area, New England, mostly. So sort of like a typical East Coaster's little bit of ex- exploration. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about typical, but there's, yeah, I mean, the ones who are here are definitely ones who have explored. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's a... There's a lot of them who never made it out. Never. <laughs> <laughs> um, is that where you started your cycling career as well? Did you get started in Boston, or when did you start riding bikes? Uh, I didn't really... I mean, riding bikes, like, I never really stopped, you know, uh, since I got my first Schwinn. Um, Predator? No, well, I don't know what it was. It was a you know, orange swoopy metal <laughs> kids bike. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then didn't really like get into cycling as work until I lived in New Mexico. Um, so, and really came at it from like journalism side more than anything. Okay. Is that your background? No. Uh, I made it my background at that point. Um, so like I was traveling a bunch and, and trying to be a bike racer and, um, kind of piecing together work that I could do remotely. So like I'd be at these big stage races and kind of figured like one of the revenue streams that made sense was like, let's write about bike racing. And, you know, some of it was experiential. Some of it was like covering, uh, covering new, like news race stories, that yeah. kind of thing as I was on the road. It seems like at bike races, that's, that's where you will see all the new, the new, new too. Like you always will see, what's coming out as far as like components, new bikes, um, new wheels. Like what started you, what got you into, um, hi-fi also where'd the name come from? I like the logo where it has like the, the record. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so which question do you want me to answer first? I'm just going to throw them all at the same time. Um, so how did I get started in yeah. that part of it? Yeah. Um, did you jump from journalism into that or kind of? Yeah. I mean, like, so journalism kind of led to marketing. So I was doing a little bit of, I did some marketing stuff for Velaforma bicycles back when they were still in Portland. Um, and you know, there's a writing component to that. Of course. Um, I had a relationship with Corsa concepts, which was a wheel company here in town. I, I raced for that team personally okay. uh, for their cross team for three years or so. Um, and I've personally just kind of always gravitated towards those smaller brands where as a rider, you know, I could potentially have more of an impact for them. Um, and I just, I really like the relationship part of cycling. So, you know, when you're, when you're working with a smaller company like that, you're, you're just, you're dealing with the owner and you're, I don't know, it just feels like there's more of something meaningful happening in some way. Mm Um, and just kind of looking around there, you know, there are a lot of bicycle brands. There are a lot of wheel brands. It, in some ways it's a really crowded and, and getting more crowded marketplace as more small brands try to, you know, start up. Um, but I feel like in general in cycling, the way that most brands present themselves is pretty generic and pretty, pretty boring. Um, and I thought there was room for someone who wanted to be a little bit more fun and, and creative with the way they presented. And, um, like we're certainly trying to make products that are suitable for racing at a very high level. Like we want to be competitive with the best wheels out there. Um, 
but our discussion when we're talking to somebody about like why might you want to be on hi-fis like we certainly focus on the technical stuff but it's not the same old like we're the fastest we're the best here's our white paper here's our aerodynamic wind tunnel data like yeah um there's a little bit again like i guess it goes back to the relationship and you know we try to be a a product that kind of your every person cyclist whether racing or whatever will have some kind of a affinity towards yeah and how long have you guys been here in portland when did hi-fi uh, officially start we're about four and a half years in okay. at this point so definitely like it was a bootstrap startup to start and it's you know i mean we're, we've grown a little bit but still like very small well, I see your I see your product and I see your wheels everywhere, which is really cool. Which is always like that reminder for me to be like, get Josh over here. Uh-huh. Um, I'd imagine there was a there was a, a void to fill after like some of those other companies went away, like when Corsa went away, and when there wasn't that. There was uh, a the, little bit of a lull, I guess, in between the two, but um, there was definitely a need to because I was riding on Corsas uh-huh. uh, and loved them, uh, but then. Like that's a pretty bold move to be like, I'm going to get into that same market, you know, for you, for you, I, I would say that's a, that's a really, that's a ballsy jump to, yeah. to try to do it. Cause there's a couple, there's a couple, some of the biggest wheels made, like builders are in a town here, which is great. It's sort of like you're in good company right. and also, you know, I guess the cream rises to the top or you all will like compete against each other or. Is there a big competition with all the other guys or is it a, a fan, like more of like a family community or like a, a good a good circle of people you're working around? Uh, I don't really see it as a big competition. I mean, I guess I would say like the local, the local brands are like, you know, obviously Chris King does a lot of builds to their, to their hubs. Um, we're not trying to knock off, knock down Chris King, right? Like they're huge. And you know, I mean, we'll even, if somebody wants a custom build with Chris King hubs, like we're happy to do that. Right. Um, and then Rolf, I guess is the other big Oregon based brand. Um, and I mean, I, I, there's definitely plenty of room for those three companies to exist in, in Oregon. Yeah. Um, but I would say, yeah, like it was definitely a big undertaking going into it. Um, I am a person like I, I am good, good collaborator. I think it's probably like one of my strengths. Um, and I kind of started hi-fi more as like bringing people together than actually like, Hey, I'm going to lead this business and like start this, you know, big wheel brand based in Portland. Um, so I actually had a friend who was working at Corsa Concepts who was potentially looking to like, you know, do something under his own, um, his own name. And, um, I had another, another friend, uh, Patrick Palmer, who's one of the owners of hi-fi and is the main investor in hi-fi from the beginning, um, who has a history of investing in all kinds of different businesses. And so really like I brought those two people together. Um, we took a look at what we wanted to do. I came up with the name hi-fi because I think tying it into music makes a lot of sense. And part of it is just the aesthetics, like you said, of there's a big spinning black disc, like why the hell wouldn't you put record grooves on it? Right. Um, or a record groove, I should say, to be more precise. Um, but you know, and then, and then, uh, as I got more into it, like my friend Patrick was excited and came on board and the other friend who was kind of part of the, the getting it off the ground went away. 
And so at that point I was like excited enough about it to say like, all right, this is a rad thing we have going on here. Like we need to, we need to actually do this. Like it has a ton of potential. Um, we got into the nitty gritty of, and, and kind of along that, as that was sort of all happening, I found Brie Rue, uh, who's another owner. Um, she's kind of our technical expert. She was living here in town working at Planet X. Okay, yeah. Um, and I knew her by, by reputation, but didn't know her personally. So she has a history of building these incredible handmade carbon, uh, like tube to tube bikes from early to mid 2000s. Um, so, like these beautiful custom, like 16 pound tandem that's still being raced today. Um, she built a seven pound bike that, uh, Fairwheel bikes used when SRAM red came out to like advertise, like, here's how light you can build a production bike. And her frame was the one they put it on. Um, so like found her hooked up with her, basically told her what we were doing, got her to come on board. Um, and then we were kind of off and running. Like we had really good people, really good concepts, uh, design, good product. Yeah. And just, you know, kind of figured it out from there. Um, what about you? I mean, I'd imagine with your racing background, what kind of um, racing background do you have? That's got to play a huge role into knowing the direction that you want to go, what kind of wheels you're looking to build, whether you're going for like, um, you know, clincher, tubeless, that kind of uh, those two different aspects and, you know, deep rim, deep dish, if you will. Um, where did you start racing and, and what kind of because uh, you're like you're like cat one racer. Yeah. I mean, less, less active these days. Like I yeah. still race a pretty full cyclocross season, but I might do some PIRs this summer, yeah. you know, like but my... you have to, I mean, I tried, tried my hand at, at riding at PIR and stuff and started at the bottom. Now I'm, now I'm here still, still at cap five. Uh-huh. Um, but you do have to put in your time, you know, yeah, and, totally. uh, you know, whether, even if you're, you have the skill to, you know, be at the top, you got to start at five and you got to win some races and you got to work your way up and then you got to, email some people over there, Obra to be like, Hey, can, <laughs> right. can jump me up. I'm sick of this. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I started pretty late. Like I was, you know, right around 30 when I started bike racing. Uh, and I'm 40, I think I'm 44 now. Am I 44? I am 44. 44. Yeah. It's confirmed. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like kind of dove in full hog, uh, definitely mostly road, but I started racing in New Mexico where it's a small, but like tight knit scene, really actually cool place to race a bike. Um, and you know, unlike here where there are so many different races to choose from and somebody (laughs) might look at a course and say like, Oh, that hill is more than, you know, 4.5% and more than two kilometers long. So I'm not a climber. I'm not going to do it. Like in New Mexico, you race everything. And so like you race time trials, you race crits, you race road races, you race cyclocross, like almost everybody will. And like, maybe you dabble in mountain bike racing for me. Um, whereas like someone who's more on the dirt side would say the opposite. Like I race, you know, whatever, yeah. all the dirt stuff. Plus I do road cause you know, I want to race my bike. Um, so yeah, like a pretty diverse type of racing background in that sense. Um, and yeah, like everybody who's involved in hi-fi comes from a racing background. So we wanted to make wheels that we would feel good about buying at full retail rate. So, you know, like trying to be a little bit less pricey than like your top, top dog, uh, mainstream brands, but like with, with competitive, competitive characteristics. Yeah. Um, 
and you asked about like clinchers, tubeless, tubular, that kind of thing, you know, we have to pay attention to what the market wants. Um, and so like, we have to be obviously like reactive in that sense. We're small, so we can be fairly reactive. Um, but there are certain things that we're big believers in. So we were one of the first carbon tubeless, uh, road wheels out there. Um, and like we were tiny, so like who the hell knew it? Probably not too many people, but right. yeah. like it was something we believed in. So it's something that we pushed to, to come out with pretty much off the bat. And they, from my experience, they, it's, it's a world of difference. It really does change your whole, the ride quality and your, your experience on the bike, which you, I never thought that any of that worked. Yeah. You know? Coming yeah. I from think... like a clincher with a tube. Right. And then the first time I rode a, uh, a carbon a carbon tubeless um was at the Dallas 60 uh-huh and it you know I had a fatter tire on there and it just it was it was great it was amazing it completely changed the way I, I looked at riding with and it was very interesting to see how that little change did that or it was a big change but it made a huge difference um what are some of the things that you're seeing like coming around now is there any big changes happening or is we pretty like locked into like no new new things coming up because there's like bigger hubs you got like 29 plus all that and do you mountain bike as well that was something yeah badly but i i definitely do (laughs) yeah and you guys you also offer mountain bike wheels we do we have a full line of uh, mountain bike gravel everything track track yeah yeah Yeah. custom decals custom decals is a big thing that we're doing um, there's some cool things I've seen you guys post and lately too, like some super fun and like bringing that, that back. You're saying you're not super serious about you're, you're out there having fun you're like community based, you for know? For sure. Yeah. I mean, we'll do one off full custom graphics to match, you know, whether somebody has like a handmade custom bike mm-hmm. that has paint that they want to match the scheme or the pattern, um, is great. Or, you know, we just did a set for uh, Merrick Latinsky, a local track racer that was a wizard staff of beer cans that wraps like a super deep carbon track wheel, which is like goofy and crazy, but right. it's, it's awesome. Like, yeah. Why not do stuff like that? It probably looks pretty cool once they're spinning up too, because you would never know what it is. Then you right. see it stop. You're like, that's a wizard staff. Right. Yeah. So like playing with graphics in motion is super fun. We have, we have some really creative uh, designers who take on like Jake Ryder's our main, uh, graphics designer. He's a local, local guy here in town. He's fantastic. Um, but yeah, that stuff's great. And really there, to my knowledge, there isn't another, like there no. are other brands who will like, you know, they'll make you a light blue decal or something. They'll have like usually stock offerings of, of graphics. Um, but they're not going to do a wizard stuff. No, you know, like, no, which I understand like they're big enough that it's a pain in the ass probably for them to bother. Right. Um, but I think it's awesome. Like, I think it's super fun. Yeah. It adds more to like, what is the, like the subculture of, of riding and especially locally Portland has such a huge collection of different characters or different little things that are happening. Everyone's in the same community, but there's, you know, you have all these different teams, all these different individual riders, different cross teams. Um, do you guys have a, a cycling team is there a team hi-fi that yeah there is uh and it's it's basically it's mostly a cyclocross team okay um like that's that's certainly the emphasis of it and when we come together the most and when it makes sense to come together the most because it's cross season it's cross season and it's fun to hang out for six hours on a shitty day um and i think the exposure by being involved in cyclocross is really big 
Um, and it's just, it's near and dear to all of our hearts mm -hmm. and it fits our brand really well. Like, you know, I guess I have a hundred reasons that that's the case, but, um, yeah, like most of those people are also either mountain bike racing or like doing regular gravel rides, uh, or road racing as well, either for our team or for another team. Yeah. I think that's super cool having a product like yours, um, that it's not specific. Like you can have a team, you can have a group, you know, you can be out there riding on the weekends in your gear, like having your crew, but you see, you're seeing your products on like every other team. Like you'll see your, your wheels. They're like definitely, uh, distinguishable when you're like, Oh, there's a set of high fives, you mm -hmm. know, and like everybody can sort of like be a part of what you're doing, mm -hmm. but be, you know, on a separate team. I like that aspect of, of your business a lot. It's super cool. Yeah. I mean, I would say the growth that we have seen are because of relationships with teams like that. Like yeah, we don't yeah. do advertising. Um, I think I've, I've, we've done one ad ever. Yeah. Um, it's definitely grassroots. I'm, it's definitely, you grassroots. know, I had, um, seen your, your, your guys's wheels around and then just had run into you over at, uh, Tommy Tuitts. Right. And like people like Tommy who are doing, you know, he's out there in the, in the trenches, like really, you know, I'm so proud of that guy. I'm like so stoked for his shop. Yeah, his shop's killing it. It's yeah. awesome to see a neighborhood shop like that. Yeah. It's and well. you're in this, you're in this, uh, North Portland as well, aren't you? Yeah. I'm just over MLK. So just barely Northeast. Perfect. <clears throat> yeah. I love it up here. Yeah. And Tommy's shop, he was just like really stoked about hi-fi wheels. And he was like, these are the, these are the thing, you know? Right. Um, and that's, that's super cool. Kudos. Shout out to Tommy to it. For sure. And he was has been one of our contract wheel builders. He's a fantastic mechanic. Um, yeah. I mean, he's a great wheel builder. Good wheel builder for yeah. sure. Yeah. Anything you want to share? Like what's going on with hi-fi 2018? You said Sea Otter when we be off air before the podcast started. Right. Yeah. We'll be at Sea Otter for the first time. We'll have a booth there. Um, so I'm excited about that. I know that is a more consumer oriented show than mm -hmm. most of the show. Like we have done nabs before, which I guess is consumer oriented too. Um, we've done inner bike. We've never done sea otter. So that'll be cool. Uh, it's a pretty mountain bike heavy crowd as well. Mm -hmm. um, so showing some of the off-road stuff will be good. Um, yeah. And I would say that this is a, this is definitely a big year for us. Like we've seen steady growth in the four years up until now. And we're looking to like, and I think we're on the precipice of hitting the gas from a, here. A second ad. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, Sea Otter can be huge. Yeah. And it's a great event. And yeah. And it's coming up like April 18th. That's yeah, right around there. I know it's mid-April. Yeah. That's exciting. That's super exciting. Cause there's tons of people down there. And people that are looking to set themselves apart by like getting into something that you're doing. Like that not that you're niche. What's the word I'm looking for? You're like you have that um I don't want to say the word gravitas. Don't want to be so it. serious, <laughs> but you guys like you, because you're like you're big little, you know what I mean? Like I yeah. feel like you guys are like well. That's good everywhere. to hear. I mean, we we've kind of evolved our uh, our goal as we've gone. Yeah. Um, but within the last year, when we've gotten everyone involved in HiFi together, we sort of reassessed how we wanted to find ourselves, um, and we came up with that and. We came up with it. We want to be the best alternative wheel brand. Absolutely. Um, so like a little bit, how do you define best and how do you define alternative? Right. But, 
I think what you're describing and, and I would have trouble exactly like pinpointing exactly what it means as well. Yeah. Um, but like, we're never trying to be zip head envy Mavic. Like we don't need to be. No. Um, I think we'd, I mean, you know, if we, if we start selling $50 million worth of wheels a year, like maybe I'll reconsider that <laughs> proposition. Right. <laughs> um, but it's not what we're trying to do. Like we're, we're trying to be like a little, like certainly bigger than we are now so that I can have vacations and like, yep. you know, a less stressful life. Um, and maybe we have like five or six employees and, a and, a you know, continue to have a cool shop presence and that'd be great. Yeah. What's the, how do you scale up to, cause you have to be cautious of trying not to scale up too fast. Exactly. It has to be like that perfect, that perfect balance and to stay alternative and like big, small. Yeah, it yeah. needs to be to some extent. It needs to be incremental, but uh, we're chasing some some sales that could like you know give us good bumps along the way. Yeah. Uh, any any um, thoughts about like partnering with any builders or anything like that? Or yeah, I mean like? we do a lot of that now. So I mean I, we go to NABs in part because we want to interact with consumers, of course, right? Mm-hmm. And the media. It's big for press. NABs is North American Handmade Bicycle Show for. Yeah those of your listeners who, who may not know, uh, it's an annual event. And this past year was in Hartford, Connecticut. Um, but we also go because really the, the builders potentially are our customers, right? Um, and the more cool builders we can partner up with the better. And like I said, they're often doing one-off custom frames, right? So like we can offer something that matches it. Yeah. Um, which is for the right customer, something really cool. Yeah. And I think that's where you see some of the, when what's exciting when in my background, uh, with working for King for a number of years, seeing some of the limitations or some builders would build that and they're sort of limited to like what those guys offer. Like you sort of see a little bit of, you know, some color schemes, at least in the color scheme or some of the, uh, um, the abilities to do a different paint color, do something that matches the hubs um, with your graphics. You can really do, you can tie in a little bit more like accessorize the bike or make the, the builds a little bit more unique, which is at NAB is sort of what it's about. People push those limits of quirky bells here and right. there, pumps integrated and all that stuff. So that lights built into the bike. NAB's is a great event. Um, and that's, that's come a long way in, in the time it's before when it started until now it's, it's become a, for sure. It's almost the, the event to go to. You know, Interbike is going to Reno the next year. Yeah, that's a pretty interesting to see it coming from going from Vegas going back. They're trying to go big small again. You know, you, you see that sort of trend happening in the in the industry because it seems well, that well, yeah, that that show is has definitely shrank in the last few years. Um, excuse me, and mm-hmm. Reno has better outdoor ride. Like you can ride a bike there much right. easier than you can in, in Mandalay Bay. Yeah. Um, so I think it makes sense. I think they're trying to redefine themselves, but, um, yeah, just speaking to brands. So at NABs, Von Hoff cycles is a frame builder out of New Jersey. He had high fives on bikes that he was showing there. He's a partner we work with. Um, McGovern cycles is a, is a handmade frame builder, uh, out of NorCal. Um, who's doing killer carbon creations that we've been working with as well. Um, we've worked with squid bikes for a number of years. Squid's a company out of Sacramento that has a similar approach. Like they definitely are about 
one-off designs and you know partnering with a spray spray dot bike is a spray can a spray paint company designed specifically for bicycles so diy fs do it your fucking self is their is their motto great partner for us yeah um and then companies like blacksmith cycle a shop in toronto that works with a number of builders we work closely with them uh tino cycles is a handmade steel frame builder in medellin colombia um, and they're super stoked on our stuff. We've done some custom graphics for them as well as just some stock stuff. They're looking at maybe being a distributor for us in Colombia. Um, some working with a couple of brands, Lesser Cycles and uh, Lucello, um out of Amsterdam. So you guys are all over the place. We're getting there, and it's again, it's like it's it's cool brands doing stuff similar to us and. I'd say that's one of the benefits of being a wheel company is you get to work with frame builders. Yeah. Um, which is awesome. What's your favorite, uh, wheel set that you're riding? Do you have a favorite or all of them? Uh, that's a good question. I, I like mixing it up. I mean, right now I'm riding a 27, five drop bar bike. And I think that is a trend that, you know, I don't know if it's going to last forever cause nothing lasts forever, but it's pretty fun. So it's basically like, it looks like a gravel or cyclocross bike, but it has 27.5 by 2.1 tires on it. Um, so I'm riding our session 27.5s right now and just, just changed out tires actually to something a little bit with more tooth on it. Does it ride like a touring bike or ride like a cross bike? What it, it rides like a cross, like a gravel bike with a little bit more cushion and better traction. And I got mountain bike. I have a two by 11 mountain bike uh, gear ratio on it. So it's like a 4228 front double um, and an 1136 rear. And so I'm doing like adventure rides on that. Yeah. And, you know, I put it in the granny and I can get up a lot. Right. It's a lightweight bike. It's, you know. Would it be considered like a hybrid or sort of like a mm. more current? Not no, a hybrid, I mean, not in the traditional sense. Because the bikes came from like that road bike and cross bike where it was all there really was for a while. Yeah. And then you had like the 29er mountain bike and now everything I can remember when people were like, ah, it's not these adventure bike almost seem like a Frankenstein sort of thing at one it point. It is kind of like that, but it's more mainstream. It's like companies are designing things specifically but it's like to the do ultimate that. way to ride. Yeah. Like having a place for, it's like a light adventure. You can go anywhere, but it still has, you can cover a lot of ground. Totally. You and know? you can take that same, like, what differentiates it from like your original hard, like full rigid, you know, uh, mountain bike, which in some ways it is similar to, right? Like it's come full circle almost to that. Yeah. Um, one important differentiator is disc brakes, not just for the, the ability to stop. Um, but like you can put different wheel sizes on the same bike. Like that's rad, especially as a wheel company. Um, so you take that bike and you put like 700 by 33s and go do a cross race or 700 by 40s and go do a gravel ride, um, or 27.5 by 2.1s. Same wheel. Same bike. Same bike. Different, like two two different wheels. Yeah. You know, one's a 27.5, one's a 700. Yeah. Um, but it's super cool, and it does well at all, pretty much all of those things. Yeah. Do you do, have you been on many um, cool trips? Or you, you said that you'd like to get a vacation, but how, do you still get a chance to get out and do any uh, fun rides like the Dallas 60 or any of that stuff. Have yeah. Yeah, some? for sure. I mean like stuff that's local, I can definitely like, I actually on Saturday did the OMTM, the, our mother of the mountain ride. Um, that was the timber log jam. Um, that was amazing. 
and that bike that I'm describing was perfect because you know it was definitely like the moisture on the tri- on some of the stuff, so it was mucky. Mm-hmm. Um, it was steep. It was like you know it was only 52 miles, but like 6,200 feet, mostly almost all dirt and a lot of single track. Um, so doing as much of that stuff as I can, uh, just because I enjoy it and it's a really rad group of people to hang out with for a day. Do you think discs are, I mean, disc, disc wheels are here to stay. What's your opinion on the, is there still an argument about discs in road racing specifically? Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, or do people, you pay any atten- Do you pay any attention? I mean, I you don't must, pay enough you must attention. have attention to. I mean, yeah, you have to like read it. I'd imagine because it's your job, right? To sort of keep up. But and I, I mean, honestly, Bree does a better job of keeping on top of the tech stuff and kind of telling me what and why. Um, I mean, I certainly pay attention to it myself yeah. as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, of course, there's a controversy about everything in bikes. Like you know, people were resistant to put disc onto cross bikes, and you know, maybe for good reason. Um, I still have rim brake road bikes, like rim brakes work really well. Um, I know there's controversy about like lacerations due to spinning discs in a mass pileup, right? Yeah. Um, but you can get cut or hurt any off of anything for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I would say like for, for that is certainly a concern, you know, like a spinning disc without some kind of protection to it could cause injuries that you might not see in another way. I think it's worth considering. Um, but there's definitely upsides like outside of a Peloton. I think being on something with a little bit better stopping power opens up more terrain. Yeah. Discs are awesome. Yeah. Way better, especially in the Pacific Northwest with all this rain. Right. And you you can run carbon rims and not worry about like, you know, even the best carbon rims aren't going to stop quite as well as a good aluminum brake track. Um, but you, you know, and then you can start modifying the design of the rim because it doesn't have to handle braking stress. Yeah. Where, um, can you go into it all? Like where you guys source your stuff or how you get your, your wheels or anything like that? Like where's the, yeah, yeah, sure. What's the, uh, the breakdown of the hi-fi? Yeah. So, um, our hubs come from Taiwan. We have, so, I mean, we're a small business, so, you know, we don't have absolute, like, we're not creating things soup to nuts from from the beginning, but we have enough influence that we're able to partially shape the design, I would say. Um, so like with the hubs in particular, like we're able to make enough changes to make it the way we want it to be. And so, um, they come from a factory in Taiwan. They are designed to be, you know, a mixture of durability performance, uh, and lightweight. And I would say lightweight is probably the third thing. Um, it's really important for us to make something that is serviceable by any shop you go to. There's nothing weird or proprietary about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't need any special tools. The bearings are things you can, you can find either through us or, you know, through Enduro or wheels manufacturing or wherever you get your bearings. Um, so if you're, you know, out in the world somewhere, you can, you can deal with it. Yeah. Um, we use, uh, Supreme spokes for all of our builds. So it depends. All of our disc stuff is J-Bend. Most of our road stuff is straight pull. Um, and then aluminum rims is a mix of U.S. sourcing and Taiwan sourcing. Carbon rims is all from Taiwan Yeah. at this point. And we use a couple of different factories depending on what we're trying to do and, you know, what existing profiles they have and how much they're, we're able to modify them to suit our needs. And it's kind of case by case. And so... You know, it's like we want to come out with a 38 millimeter tubular for cyclocross, 
Um, what are the characteristics we want? How much are we able to modify an existing mold to make it something that appeals to us? Do you think there is a, sp- a specific, the perfect Portland cyclocross wheel? I think it's changing. I think actually tubeless is becoming legitimate. Uh, and that's relatively recent. Like tubeless is the most difficult, or I'm sorry, cyclocross is the most difficult discipline to have a good tubeless setup. Um, and, and really it's because you don't have the big volume that you have with mountain bike. You don't have the high pressure that you have with road that makes those two things really easy to work well. So you've got neither of those things going for you. You're trying to do low pressure and relatively low volume. Um, and so part of it was designing the rim correctly. And part of it was tire manufacturers designing a tire that's going to stay on right, that's at a low good, pressure. That's a good point. I didn't even think about asking any questions like that. Yeah. Cause you're looking at that interface between the rim and the, and what the trends are with, you know, the, the, the bead of the tire. Right. Cause with, with cross racing for, for the listeners who are uh, not familiar with cycling, you can get what's called. Is it burping? Well, burping is like when you lose a little air, but you can try to be, you can be cornering and the, the rim can actually, and the, the seat, the beat is, it, correct me if I'm wrong, like the bead will sort of bend off a little bit or give a little space. So air escapes and you sort yeah. of lose some pressure. Right. It can happen either with an impact or as you're saying, like just with, uh, you know, torsion basically on mm-hmm. the, on the bead, it can cause air to come out and can cause a burp. Um, so that interface needs to be really, really secure. Um, and within the last, I would say four to five years, um, it's gotten to the point where you can run pressures almost as low as a tubular, um, and get really good performance. Um, and it's a, it's a more versatile setup, really. Like you can train on that same setup, whereas you, you're unlike, most people are unlikely to go out and train on a tubular, um, just because if you flat, it's a super hassle. Right. And almost the expense of like the, the. The tires, especially with road tires, you'd have to glue them up, all that. They would, yeah, you'd have your training set. Right. And then your racing set. Right. And there are definitely some purists who will still do it. And people will argue, especially for cyclocross, that there's a reason to do it because you can run lower pressure. Yeah. Uh, You're basically not ever going to burp. I mean, you might run into other problems, but um, it's a lighter weight setup. Yeah. and you tend to, well, I guess you, there are some high speeds in cyclocross. There's definitely some sections where you're getting up to, you know, a full kick. Yeah. You know, sprinting the beginning of the race, some of the ending race. But cyclocross is so diverse where you're, you're stop, go, stop, go. Yeah. And the other advantage of, of uh, tubeless. So we were talking about, uh, you were talking about just kind of the ride quality, which is certainly nice. Um, but like I said, I came from here from New Mexico uh, one of the owners of Hi-Fi, Robbie Duangpanya, still lives in New Mexico. He lives in Albuquerque. He's born and bred, well, born in Laos, but mostly bred, mo- almost born in, in Albuquerque. Um, is The reason to be tubeless in a place like that is is uh, goat heads. So you ride somewhere where you're getting regular slices to your, to your tire casing. The way they used to deal with that was it's a whole story unto itself, but basically you would take a clincher tire that's old and worn out racing clincher tire, cut the bead off, use it like a Mr. Tuffy okay. as a tire liner inside of another tire. And it rode absolutely terribly. Um, but you wouldn't get a flat. And so the modern answer to that is run tubeless, have something that feels great. You get a bunch of thorns in there and the sealant just will continue takes care of it. Yeah. Um, oh, so, I have a goat head 
uh, Arizona story for you. Oh yeah, yeah, same same thing. Getting <clears throat> getting now into the more personal. Now that we're off the the business aspect of the podcast, holy shit! So, but my buddies and I grew up in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. First road trip, taking the mountain bikes out to the West Coast, going on a mountain, hitting as many trails as we can. We get out to Arizona. We're in uh, uh, Sedona area. Yeah, and they have those like the flat those flat little pancake cactuses, mm. you know, that they're sort of everywhere. You get little patches or you get those little, like the popcorn cactus or just, if you're not on the trail, you're likely to run yeah. over something that's going to pop your tire. For sure. We don't, we don't, we're just three idiots from New Jersey. Right. You know, no, not enough water, barely enough, you know, food, water. We're, you know, we come up on this group of locals who looked at us and they were laughing and I, I, I just took it as like, oh, they just, we're from New Jersey. They're just like, ah, oh, these kids, but they were seriously like lat like being like these guys are gonna die out here you know and we took the fire road up the hill we're climbing 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 like eight miles get to the top of the canyon and uh like 50 feet away we stop and they're like okay get geared up because like the descent happens and they're sort of like stick with us we'll get down there's some trail splits but when we get there we'll you know we'll, we'll let you know where we're at so as they start to go one by one by one, we're like going to be the last three and we're the idiots. We are, we start jockeying for position and it just, it's like the road just goes to the single track and they're all way ahead of us. Cause they're on like, they're on full suspension bikes at the time, which is, you know, they had like the Manitou forks. This is like back in early nineties, you know, Bit, very like expensive bikes, even for then, you know, like they're top of the line bikes. And we all sort of like shoulder to shoulder, the three of us hit the single track at the same time and like get six flat tires, like right off the bat. Oh, man. And those guys all just sort of disappear down the Canyon and we were stuck out there. <laughs> no tubes, no, you know, that was like my first learning experience of being prepared. We had no idea. Cause we would just ride in our neighborhood, you know, like East coast is you might hit some granite rocks. You might get a pinch flat, but uh, that was my introduction to being prepared and being being ready because there's a lot of prepared you need to have your gear you need to know how to change your tires you need mm-hmm. to have tubes you have to have the right equipment uh but those that those little goat heads like oh, it was the worst we we did almost die out there it's ter- <laughs> it terrible i rode back to the truck i just took my tires off yeah like oh just, my God. and just rode like the aluminum rims and was just like wrecked oh my, my wheels but yeah. that was the only way because it would just the rubber was just catching in my brake wow and we had no tubes and like we tried to pack them full of dirt I've you know, done all of that stuff you myself know? too. Yeah. So we just rode back, wrecked my bike, and then the rest of the trip we just were like we might as well go back to New Jersey, like turn around. Turn yeah. Around. I've had holes in tubes and like tied a knot in the tube just to like isolate the hole and then pump the rest of the tube up and put that back in. And then you just get that. And thump, it, thump, yeah, thump, it's terrible, thump, right? Thump, but thump. like you're not riding on rim. Um I've also I actually heard there is a podcast about uh I don't even remember the, the context, but it was about somebody in Iraq, like a kid in Iraq who couldn't get tubes and used grass, like regularly just filled his tire with grass. Just keep packing it in there. Um, and I, I actually did that. Like I heard that story and kept it in my mind. And one time I was desperate enough, like, all right, I'm, I'm put, I actually, I think I used leaves and grass, like just whatever I could find side of the road. Just enough to get you to limp home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm sure we have a ton of stories we could share. There's a bunch of other people that are listening to that can probably attest to their nightmare stories of cycling. I really enjoy that you're here in Portland and like that you started something like this. 
I think it's really cool. I give you a lot of credit for doing it. And, and uh, I think that you're going to be super successful this year. Um, and especially the big podcast bump you're going to get from Puck Fortland will probably oh, send yeah. you right over the edge. That's going to be the difference. We'll look back <laughs> on this day. Mm-hmm. Some of the biggest companies in Portland will start here if they ever come on the show. Yeah. Um, before we get going here and, and, uh, and wrap it up, anything you want to share or tell us about what's happening and, uh, yes, and I tell the listeners? just realized I have a good thing to, to share with you. Um, so we're going to host uh, the first maybe annual bike party called Show and Tell this summer. Uh, it's June 30th and July 1st. And the pre- we're co-hosting it with OMTM, our mother of the mountain, the, the uh, ride organizers that I told you about who do like a monthly big ride and curate a bunch of cool routes here in town. Uh, and Royale Brewing is the other, the other host. Does OMTM have an Instagram or like a website you can go to? Yeah, I think their Instagram is, is at OMTM uh, and their website is OMTM.cc. Um, and the premise is it's kind of, you know, similar to how we are and try to present ourselves is like a non-pretentious event, very approachable. Um, and so the Saturday event will be a mixed terrain bike ride. So the tentative plans right now are we'll meet at like Thurman Gate, but it'll be a forest park based ride, 90 minutes to two hours, uh, in the morning. And we'll end at Royale Brewing, which is in North Portland, uh, off of Vancouver. Um, so we'll ride to the event and then the bikes that are shown will be the bikes that have just been ridden. Oh, great. So everyone can show up to one bike. Um, it'll be a mix of frame builders, industry people, as well as just local people with cool bikes that they want to show and tell about. Um, and the event will go something like noon to six. It'll be free to show. It'll be free to attend. Um, and we're kind of picking, putting the details together from there. Um, and then the following day, Sunday is OMTM's big monthly ride. So that'll be the Falls Creek hinterlands ride that leaves from Carson, Washington. And it's a big, burly, cool, super awesome ride. Um, and so like, I, I actually, I don't have a website together for the, for the event yet. It's something I need to work on in the next week or so, Sure. but we'll have something up on ridehifi.com. But already, like Tino Cycles are coming from Medellin, Colombia for this event. Um, Von Hoff is coming out from New Jersey. Blacksmith's coming down from Toronto. Uh, a bunch of riders are coming from all over the country. Um, so it's pretty exciting. That's really exciting. Yeah. yeah. I love to help share the news and put the word out there, like whether you have the website going or not, like up, coming up to the date. And I can share it here with people that are listening to the next couple of guests as well. And I'd love to go and check it out. Absolutely. It'd be great to have you out there. Yeah. Well, Josh, thank you so much for coming on Puck Fortland. It was great to just have a quick chat with you here and catch up. I look forward to talking to you again soon. Right on, Eddie. I appreciate it. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.